When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had with Daniel Pink. He's a number one best-selling author of Drive and To Sell is Human. And in this conversation, we talk about his brand new book, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And when we talk about timing, what we're talking about is the best time or best timing to help you flourish at work or school or home, just in life. We talk about the history of time and how we've kind of constructed these fences to corral time into our own understanding, the patterns of time and the cyclical nature of it in terms of the rhythm of the day and the turning of the earth on its axis and how that affects us in terms of mood swings or actually more like mood progression and how you can lean into those waves to do different or better types of work or attention at different times. When it comes to having a peak or a trough or recovery coinciding with those waves of the day. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I know that I got a lot out of it, stuff that I'm testing and working with in my own personal productivity and my scheduling. So get ready to take some notes and listen to this conversation with Daniel Pink. This week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Daniel Pink. Daniel, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks for having me. So I, I said in pre-recording, and I hadn't planned to say this, but your book is like a practical science fiction book, but not in like a fiction sense. It's like practical science, I guess. Well, that's sort of what I'm after here. I mean, truly, um, I'm, it's, not, it's more science and science fiction, I like to think, because uh, what I did is I, I looked at this research um, across this wide range of disciplines on timing and all the when decisions we make. But instead of simply talking about the science, I tried to pair it with practical, tactical, specific things we can do in our own lives to get better at timing. So what I'm trying to accomplish here is, uh, I mean, I like to turn the phrase, you know, practical science. A lot of people are familiar primarily first and foremost, with your book, To Sell is Human, if we're ever, you know, if we've been in that marketing or business space. And yeah. I had forgotten completely that you had like the the book Drive about motivation, as well as A Whole New Mind, which is about the yeah. right brain. So this yeah, book you're, actually... You're not, the, you're not yeah. the only one who's forgotten those books. Yeah. So this book actually falls more in line with like what you are typically talking about, but it, it fits right in with the vein of all three slash four books now of humans and how we are and what why we do what we do and how to interact better and how to you know even interact with ourselves better so i was actually kind of thrilled to see this pattern move forward which is funny because this is all about patterns really yeah yeah cool yeah i mean i have to say like i don't set out to 
establish or maintain a through line from book to book to book to book. I just really just follow whatever I'm curious, you know, whatever I'm curious about, because I feel like if I'm curious about something, other people will be too. Maybe there is something of a through line, but it's om- it's one of those things you almost, you really only see through in retrospect rather than prospectively. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of that, you know, retrospective author's curiosity moving forward. You know, you tackled this and then, well, not have tackled right. that. <laughs> you move right, forward. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so let's begin at the beginning, which is appropriate for this book. And by the way, I, I guess I failed to mention the name of the book is When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which is incredibly appropriate for the audience of this show, because we talk all about not just time management, but everything that's kind of tangentially connected to time itself. And you start off the book talking a bit about that history of time. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, I mean, time is a time itself is a very elusive, complicated, abstract subject. I find it very hard to get my my mind around it. But one of the things that I did notice is that, is that a lot of what we consider natural quote unquote, natural units of time are not natural at all. They're things human beings have invented largely in response to that elusiveness and abstraction of time itself. So things like seconds have, it's completely made up. Hour is completely made up. Uh, a week is a completely made up idea. However, a day is not. A day is a natural phenomenon because our planet is rotating on its axis, you know, one full turn over those 24 hours. So that's a real thing, which is one reason why I started out the book talking about the day, you know, so you know, first third of the book roughly is about what do we know about the day, the hidden pattern of the day, how we can take advantage of that hidden pattern of the day, how, uh, when should we be taking breaks and what kinds of breaks should we be taking? Yeah, it's kind of that, that it's a natural rhythm to it. And, you know, the, the, earth, the turning of the earth on its axis for one cycle is a definitive thing, you know, right. other than that, we're just basically trying to create fences to corral time into some sort Precisely. of understanding. That's exactly what that's exactly what uh, seconds, hours, weeks do. We're trying to corral it because it is so elusive. So what's some of the science behind, you know, the rhythm of a day? It's interesting yeah. how you guys got to it with studying like mood swings or mood progression, I guess is probably a better way to put it. Yeah. I mean, one thing that you can do is you, there's a whole line of research uh, from, from uh, I won't torture your listeners with <laughs> the precise methodologies, but everything from looking at uh, big data analysis of, of tweets and the time of day of tweets and the emotional expression contained in those tweets to research led by someone like Daniel Kahneman, the uh, economics Nobelist, uh, to other kinds of research uh, from other domains, other other uh, uh, areas of other disciplines, but also other methodologies. And what it's showing is that we tend to move through the day in three distinct stages, a peak, a trough, and a recovery, a peak, a trough, a recovery. Most of us move through it in that order. Uh, people who are night owls, and we can talk about chronotypes at some point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, people, who, people who are night owls, that is, they tend to have a propensity to wake up late, go to sleep late. They, they move through the day in the reverse order, recovery trough peak. And yet, and what we know, though, is that from this other research is that uh, putting the right kinds of work into these right stages makes a world of difference. And so during our peak, which again, for most of us is the morning. For 20% of us is the late afternoon or early evening. During our peak, we're better off doing analytic work. That's work that requires heads down, focus, attention. And this is the really key point here, vigilance. Our ability to bat away distractions, keep out distractions. 
Uh, we tend to do that kind of work better in our peak, again, which for most of us is is the morning. And so you should do your analytic work, heads down, you know, writing a writing something of significance or analyzing data or so that kind of work in, in your peak. During the trough, uh, which is the mid-afternoon, the early afternoon to mid-afternoon, that's not good for very much. Actually, a lot of bad stuff happens during that trough. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, everything from, from, from student test scores dropping to, um, uh, more medical errors in hospitals to nurses not washing their hands in hospitals to, uh, having a four times more likely to have an anesthesia error at 3 PM than at 9 AM to doctors prescribing unnecessary antibiotics, just a whole parade of horrors during that trough. And so you're better off doing work that is less cognitively taxing than things like, you know, answering your email, your routine email, filling out your, T- if you're an office space fan, fill- filling out your TPS reports. And then in the recovery, which again, for most of us is later in the day, that's actually kind of an interesting time because we're, our mood is better than during the trough. And we started out talking about moods. Our mood is better than during the trough. And we're less vigilant than during the peak. And, and vigilance has its limits. Like vigilance is good for some things, but being hypervigilant is actually not that great for creativity. So if we're less vigilant and in a better mood, that makes it a good time for things that are a little bit more freewheeling, like brainstorming, iterative kinds of work. And and so at some le- the, the broad design principles are, are relatively simple. Do your analytic work during the peak, your administrative work during the trough, and your insight conceptual creative work during the recovery. And what the research shows is that, th- that simply the time of day explains about 20% of the variance in human performance on these workplace tasks. Um, and that's a big deal. That's huge. Yeah. And and so then you go into talking about um, chronotypes and you've given three. We've I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Michael Bruce. He has a book. Sure. That's yeah. Spe- yeah. So he has a book specifically about chronotypes. A little over a year ago, he was on. And uh, and so you've got birds. He had mammals. No big difference. But ultimately, yeah, no, he has a, he, he has his own. And it's very quite it's, it's very quite interesting, actually. Um, I think he's a clinical psychologist who specializes in, in sleep. And he has in that book his own uh, unique chronotype taxonomy. Yeah. And, it's like it's and, four and, four mammals, I think. Yeah, versus and the, three and, birds. And, and 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 I'm using the one that's like the, basically what the what chronobiologists the pretty con- conventional thing. Like I didn't make up larks and owls. That's been around for yeah. I, that's been around for a while. And and what he what he says is that that way of thinking about things morning morning people evening people is insufficient, and that you need a more uh, nuanced, more idiosyncratic set of chronotypes. That they give us some guidance on that, so yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty interesting idea. And then you've got third birds, which kind of cuts the di- splits the difference between larks yeah. and owls. And, and the way I look at it, again, if you look at the data in from chronobiology, and and you look at the, you know, I mean, again, I don't want to empty the room of your, you know, have your listeners, you know, race for uh, the, the 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 pause button here yet, but <laughs> but yet because I will I will have them do that soon, guaranteed. Um, is if you look at it as a distribution on a chart. So imagine just the, the horizontal axis of a chart, and you know uh, on one side are very strong larks and morning people, and on the other side are very strong evening people. I mean, it looks sort of like a bell curve. So most of us are in the middle. Most of us are neither strong larks nor strong owls. You have about twenty percent of the population are, are quite out. You know, are owls. Fifteen percent are lark. That means that two thirds of us are kind of in, in between. And that's the hard part 
that comes up with all that productivity knowledge out there that says you've got to either get up really early and be a lark or you've got to stay up really late and be an owl. And that just eliminates, you know, two thirds of us. Yeah. And, and it's a great, great point, Eric. I mean, it's a, that's actually an incredibly important point because we can't do much to change our underlying chronotype that it, it, it's, it's biological. I mean, it's not quite like height. Like there's not a lot you can do to change your height. So it's not quite as sturdy as, as height. And also our chronotype changes over time. But in a way, I mean, our height changes over time when we're younger and then a little bit when we're older. But in general, it's pretty, it's pretty stable. And so, you know, you have someone like me, okay? So I test as in the middle as a, as a third bird, but a little bit more toward the lark side. And so I don't, you know, I don't know. It doesn't matter what you do to me. I'm never going to be the kind of person who is comfortably going to be able to say, hey, let's start work at 6 p.m. and work till 3 a.m. Like, that's just not how I am. Now, I could do that. I could force myself to do that, but I'd be operating severely against my chronotype and probably not doing a particularly good job. And there's not much that I can do to change myself. And this is the key point, is that what we need to be doing is we need to be where we can, changing the context, changing the environment, changing the situation. And this is really true, not so much for people like me, but for people who are these owls, these one out of five people who are strong owls, the whole corporate environment is completely biased against them. It's constructed in a way to make them miserable. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that uh, what we're really saying here between larks, owls and third birds is your peak trough and recovery waves throughout a day are essentially at different points in time on that plotted 24 hours. Precisely. Precisely. And again, that's exactly right. So, so if you're a, if you're a, again, for 80% of us, if you're a lark or a third bird, you know, you have your peak in the morning, your trough in the early afternoon, early to mid afternoon, and your uh, recovery late afternoon, early evening. Now, even within then, it doesn't mean that everybody starts their peak at 714 AM and ends it at 1146 AM or anything like that. So, but, but the broad pattern, Peak in the you know peak mostly in the morning, trough mostly in the early afternoon to mid afternoon, recovery mostly in the late afternoon to early evening. However, if you are a an owl, it's the exact opposite. So your mornings are not your peak. Your mornings are suboptimal. They're really your recovery. Uh, your trough tends to be at about the same range as larks and third birds. So that's the early afternoon to mid afternoon. But then what you have is you have your peak if you're an owl in the late afternoon and early evening. That's when you should be doing your analytic work. And you see this a little bit with, and, and there's a propensity for younger people to be more alley than older people. You see this with, you know, in some ways, culturally with young software programmers who basically get started doing what they're doing at six o'clock in the evening and work all the way through till about two in the morning, three in the morning, which is something that, as I said earlier, I would find completely miserable and a recipe for doing inferior work. Yeah. And so they are leaning into their chronotype and they know, okay, analytic work, like that's the time of day. Exactly. And and then for them also, like a recovery time early, not early, but first thing in their morning being in recovery is a great time for quote, like creativity type, you know, tasks. Exactly. Exactly. Because the thing is that they're not that vigilant in the morning. And so what you want is you want uh, for, for creative things, you, you don't want to be super vigilant because if you're always batting away ideas that seem that, that are a little bit weak, you're not going to let in novelty in the way that you, you need to for truly creative kind of work. <laughs> 
So then the the cool thing is, is this obviously, you know, even though this is a productivity show, we go beyond productivity. This has an effect on more than just our work lives, because then we're at home during certain peaks or troughs or, uh, you know, mornings, afternoons, evenings with other people who may or may not have the same chronotype as us. Great point. Yep. Uh, who we have to work with. And that becomes a that becomes another challenge. And, and I can see you and raise you because what you have. Uh, on that is that you also have the added complicating feature in certain kinds of companies where you're you're collaborating across big differences in time zone. And so you you could have somebody who's in her peak in China uh, talking to me at 11 o'clock at night when I'm, you know, half asleep. Yeah. 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 For, so, I, I'm exactly there right there with you. Yesterday, I had a meeting that started 530 my time Eastern, and it was what, 230? Uh, Pacific for the people that had scheduled it, and the majority, right, of, exactly. You know, some majority of the people at the company in the, in this meeting were in that time zone, but you know, two of us were on Eastern time at five thirty. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My day's so, done, so to speak. You know, so it becomes a so it becomes a complicating factor, and I think the big issue, Eric, is that most organizations are not aware of these kinds of things, and so we end up being. And, and I think scheduling meetings is a great example of that. So we tend to be very intentional about what we do. So you know, people have to do lists and. Even meetings have agendas, you know, what we, we're intentional about what we're going to do. We're intentional about, in many cases, how we're going to do it. So we, we learn how to do things better. We have education and training departments inside of companies. Uh, we're intentional about who we do it with, who should be at this meeting. Um, it, it, more broadly, who should be working at this company? But when it comes to questions of when, we're not intentional at all. So we schedule meetings. Well, how do we schedule meetings? We say, oh, Whenever somebody's available, whenever there's a hole in the schedule, it becomes a purely logistical thing, not a strategic thing. And that's a huge mistake. I mean, I heard from an executive at a company, you know, well-known tech company who was saying, oh, man, we just did a product review meeting and it was at two o'clock in the morning. I think that was a problem. And I, and I emailed back and said, yeah, it's a crappy time to do <laughs> uh, like an intelligent, to have an intelligent conversation about whether your product is good or bad and what are the, what are the flaws. I mean, that's like you could not have picked a worse time to do that. The only reason that it was scheduled at 2 p.m., is that that happened to be convenient and people were available. Um, and so the most important takeaway, kind of the meta takeaway here for productivity is to be intentional about our when decisions, to be as intentional about our when decisions as we are about our what decisions and our how decisions and our who decisions. I love that you have this idea of the chronotype Friday in the book. Yeah. I'm, I'm latching onto that. I'm going to actually, I had already kind of been operating on that because I work for somebody who is based out again in Pacific and I'm on Eastern and it's just like, wait a second, Friday's my day. I can kind of lean into my chronotype versus yeah. theirs or at least the, the time displacement of, you know, the difference between our time zones with that. And uh, so a chronotype Friday for you, you basically explained it as, Hey, if it, you know, it's going to be kind of impossible. Well, I don't know if it's impossible, but it, it's kind of improbable. Let's put it that way to have an entire company suddenly start adhering to, no, I want to be, um, yeah. empathetic yeah. of your chronotype, but you could pick yeah. one day out of the week, which would do exactly. That. That's exactly the, the thinking behind that, behind that idea. So there's a precedent for this. I mean, there, well, you know, one of the world's best known chronobiologists, perhaps the best known chronobiologist in the world is a fellow in Munich named Till Ronenberg, Ronenberg and Ronenberg. And he, um, has worked with some German companies, uh, auto factory steel plant, um, trying to do that very thing. And not surprisingly, when people are able to work more in tune with 
their natural rhythms, uh, you have greater satisfaction on the job, you have less attrition, you have higher productivity. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X dot com to learn more. Now, there's some stuff that we can do regardless of our chronotype that'll set up our morning to be a better morning no matter what, which include like water and sun and different mm-hmm. things like that. So what what are those steps and how have those affected you? Well, there are, there are a few things that you can do. So number one of them, I mean, again, and, and, uh, and just to be clear here, you know, all the things that we're talking about are not guarantees that you're going to be, you know, uh, you know, uh, be, become an instant genius or, um, 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 you know, productivity machine. What we're talking about here is upping your odds. We're talking about here about, about improving, you know, improving your probability. And so, when it comes to the mornings, uh, there are – so one, one thing that I've tried to do is drink a glass of water whenever I wake up. You know, we end up being pretty dehydrated when we wake up because we're going for a long stint without ingesting any kind of liquid. And we're often sweating or going to the bathroom, and so we wake up slightly dehydrated. You can get a little bit of restoration by having simply a drink of water. The timing of coffee intake is also really interesting. Uh, yeah. when we wake, when we wake up, we, we tend to, produ- we naturally produce a stress hormone called cortisol, uh, that, that aids in our wakefulness. Like the, so the stress hormone starts rising and that actually helps us wake up. And what's interesting about that is that caffeine can interfere with the production of cortisol, that it can kind of slow it down. And so what you want, what you're better off doing instead is, is letting that cortisol peak which it usually does maybe 60 to 90 minutes, and then having a cup of coffee. So when you have that downturn of cortisol, say in an hour, 90 minutes or so, then you hit it with a caffeine. So there's an argument actually for not having coffee immediately when you wake up, 
waiting an hour, you know, waiting an hour, waiting an hour, uh, waiting an hour and a half. And, um, you know, and, and I think this is fairly well known too, is, is actually natural light can be helpful in, in wakefulness as well. And all these things, again, none of them is a magic bullet, but all these things can get your day off to a somewhat better start. If you are someone who has their, their, their peak in the morning, it could get you to your peak a little bit faster and get you a little bit higher within that peak. I had read about the coffee thing somewhere and tried it and had success with it. And I was interesting. Like, oh, this is very cool. So, and of course, then I completely forgot about it and was just like, I'm so tired right now. I've got to have, yeah, I got to have a cup of coffee, you know, yeah. but, and I think the, the keynote there between, you know, the, the, the cortisol level rising and the caffeine is those two things are separate alertness kind of helps so you're but but what you're saying is is by drinking the coffee first you're actually stunting the the natural one that you would get right and kind of almost eliminating it right yeah yeah or or, or maybe not eliminating it but putting big big time yeah Yeah. it's it's like you know it's like putting it's like having your foot on the brake yeah and so you slow it down you slow it down considerably so you're better off letting those you know here's the thing human beings woke up for we're able to wake up for (laughs) Many, you know, hundreds of thousands of years before the invention of coffee, before the invention of, of brewed coffee as a morning hot beverage. So, uh, so we're pretty good at waking up. Uh, yeah. So that we have these, thanks to evolution, we have these natural mechanisms in our body that aid in that kind of thing. Now, we also have these things that are you know, these internal mechanisms. We also can add these external mechanisms like the introduction of caffeine that can help us out. So that's so... Um, you know, it just in general, you're better off having that coffee, not first thing in the morning, but maybe an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half after you wake up. What about the role or timing of exercise? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I think the evidence here is reasonably clear. And, and when you should exercise really depends on what your goals are. So uh, if your goals are to lose weight, exercise in the morning is, is better than exercise later in the day. If your goal is to establish a habit, it seems based on the research that you have a slightly better chance of establishing a habit if you do it in the morning. Uh, exercise delivers a pretty significant mood boost. And so the advantage of ex- having exercise in the morning is that you have that mood boost throughout the day. If you exercise late in the day, you get that mood boost, but you end up sleeping some of it, sleeping away some of it. So that's exercise in the morning. Exercise in the late afternoon or early evening is advantageous for other reasons. So if you want to avoid injur- injury, that's the best time to exercise late afternoon, early evening, uh, largely because our body temperature reaches its peak around then. And so you're literally more warmed up and less prone to in- injury. Uh, at the same time, you uh, people report uh, enjoying exercise more that time of day, uh, uh, really not, not even so much enjoying, but uh, feeling like they're exerting less effort that time of day, probably again, because of the rise in body temperature. There's some interesting research about uh, records, particularly in speed events being set during this rough window between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. And so, you know, when you should exercise depends on your goals. If you want to establish a habit, lose weight, get an enduring mood boost, do it in the morning. If you want to avoid injury, perform at your best, or enjoy the workout a little bit more, do it in the afternoon. And this is helpful to me, like many things in this book. I happen to be an afternoon exerciser. And for me, the reason is, and I didn't really understand it until I looked at this research, the reason for me is that the feeling of, of, uh, uh, of how effortful it is. I find exercise in the morning extremely effortful, uh, whereas I find exercise in the late afternoon much more enjoyable, much less like I'm killing myself. 
And then that mood boost is still in play for the remainder of the day and you're not really losing it to sleep in the evening, right? Well, no, if you, if you exercise in the morning, you, you have it all day. I mean, I exercise in the afternoon, so I lose a little bit of that mood boost. I'm changing, but I'm basically making a conscious trade-off for the feeling that it's not as painful and, and effortful. And also, the, you know, the older I get, the more prone, since I run, the more prone I am to injuries, particularly you know, knee injuries and things like that. So for me, perhaps at my, you know, as a middle-aged guy, it might be smarter for me to, to exercise when I am a little bit more, literally, more warmed up. Sure. Yeah. And and then for me, like, I want to have a mood boost first thing in the morning and yeah, have no, it all great. day and lose right. more weight. So right. it makes sense no, for me great. to do and that. So, yeah. And so it really, yeah. So, but but what I, what I think is interesting and instructive about this research is that we can say it fairly clearly, like exercise in the morning, if these are your goals, exercise in the late afternoon or early evening, if these are your goals. And it's again, to circle back, Eric, to what you were saying at the top of the program, it's practical science. Mm-hmm. Here's what the science says, and here's something practical you can do about it in your own life. Yeah. Well, so there's some other practical science here that applies to the middle of our day, depending upon when that is, break-wise for us. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those things that you've found that work best in terms of taking an actual break? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think that breaks, the science of breaks is where the science of sleep was 15 years ago. That 15 years ago, I don't think we were fully aware that how important sleep was. So people would come into offices bragging about getting only two hours of sleep or pulling all nighters or things like that. Once the science of sleep began emerging, we realized, oh, wait a second, sleep is actually an important part of our productivity. I think that breaks are where sleep was 15 years ago, as I said, in that the science is about, I think the science is, is so compelling. And as it reaches the popular consciousness, I really think it's going to change people's behavior. Uh, and, and what it tells us is, is very, very simple. We should be taking more breaks and we should be taking certain kinds of breaks. Uh, we shouldn't be trying to power through. We should be uh, explicitly taking breaks. Again, I'm a sinner on this and that I always tried to power, I always tried to power through and not take breaks because I thought that breaks were for amateurs. That's not true at all. It's the exact opposite. Break, professionals take breaks. Amateurs are the ones who don't take breaks. And so, you know, we should be taking more breaks, but we should also be taking certain kinds of breaks. And, and what the research on breaks tells us gives us some very, very straightforward guidance on the best types of breaks to take. For example, um, you know, something is better than nothing. So there's a line of research on micro breaks, literally one, two minute breaks. They can, they can be somewhat restorative. So take, do something rather than do nothing. Turns out that social breaks are more replenishing than, than solo breaks, even for introverts. So if you take a break with somebody else, uh, somebody whom you've chosen to take a break with, um, that can be very restorative. Maybe you're not in a business that's got, you know, a, a floor plan and tons of cubicles. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. maybe you turn to social media for that solo break, that social break. If you have maybe to. if you have a friend maybe. who's in the who, yeah, maybe if you have a friend who's in the area. But but again, I think, you know, um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of social media on breaks, largely because the research also says that you should be fully detached. So having your phone with you is generally not a great idea. Right. Uh, and even when you take a break, it's better off not to talk about work in most cases. Um, but also the other thing that I think is really important is that, is that moving beats stationary. So you want to be able to move around on a break. And there's some remarkable research about the effects of nature and simply being outside. So in some ways, the ideal afternoon break is to you know, take a walk outside with a friend, talk about something other than work and leave your phone behind. And this is not like, that's not a very complicated, sophisticated kind of prescription. And you don't have to take these breaks for an hour, an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. 
you can do it for 10 or 15 minutes and it makes a world of difference. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if you've got a coworker and you work in the same building and you say, Hey, it's break time, you go outside and you, you know, instead of the traditional smoke break, you get together, you walk around the building, however many laps make sense yeah, for yeah. five, 10 minutes, maybe, uh, you know, depending yeah. upon time, how much time you have and yeah. whatever. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, and, and, and yeah, and yeah, exactly. And, and that kind of small, modest break doesn't cost any extra money, isn't really complicated. Just about anybody can do it. Uh, those kinds of breaks are very restorative and at a very small cost in time or treasure. Now, I know there's another kind of break that you've hated up until this point, but now you're a convert and that's napping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the research, so I hated napping in general um, because. You know, I always felt bad when I woke up, a little ashamed of myself as well. And uh, I realized I was doing it wrong. The ideal nap is actually very short. It's between 10 and 20 minutes. And, and when I read that, I, was, I thought, what? what? That can't even be right. And yet, over and over, the research tells us that these, these super short naps, 10 to 20 minutes, can be incredibly restorative. And what they do is they give you that extra mental acuity and feelings of wakefulness, but without what's called sleep inertia, which is that groggy, boggy feeling you have when you have a 90-minute nap in the middle of the afternoon and you wake up, um, you know, not sure where you are and a little bit, and a little bit fuzzy-headed. Um, and so the ideal naps are between 10 and, and 20 minutes. And it doesn't mean that you have to nap every day, but there are uh, more advantages to napping than I ever would have imagined. Yeah, I, I call that sleep inertia. I kind of call that or refer to that as uh, sleep drunk because <laughs> it feels totally, like it. totally. That's exactly what it is. So you don't want to be sleep drunk when you wake up. You want to be s sleep sober. And, and I think the thing is, is that some people are like, well, is it really worth it to just have 10 to 20 minutes? But again, you don't want to move into that sleep. I was the, I was I said the same thing. Is it really worth it? And the answer is yes. Um, I can speak from personal experience, but I can also speak from this body of research saying, yep, it is. And for those that would think, well, I can't fall asleep that long or that quickly to to even reach 10 minutes, it's it's about consistency. It's about practicing doing exactly. this because I've done it. And, and I'm in a season right now where it's not happening as often, but I can attest to the fact that it works as well. Absolutely right. It, to me, it's a little bit like meditation. So when people first start to meditate, their minds are racing all over the place. But as they practice and get better at it, they become a little bit better at bringing back that wandering mind and staying in the present and doing all the things that are necessary for, for, for meditation. I think that over time people can get better at taking these super short naps. I think one other cool thing that might help them is if they employ your tool, which is called the Nappuccino. Yeah. So that's a, <laughs> a weird little thing here. So what you do is before you have this super short nap, you have a cup of coffee, which seems really kind of crazy, but it takes about 25 minutes for the coffee, for the caffeine to get into your bloodstream. And so when you, which you, if you have a cup of coffee and then you take, then you lie down for 25 minutes in the hopes you can sleep from 15 to 20 minutes, by the time you wake up, you're, you're getting that boost from the nap itself, but you're also getting the added rocket booster of this caffeine hitting your bloodstream at about the time you're getting up. I have done this one as well. I just, I've never heard of it referred to as nappuccino, but that. Yeah, that's not my word either. Okay. I mean, I've, I've heard it's out there. I wish I'd come up with it, but I saw it. I don't know that I actually don't know the source of it, but. Um, I'd seen it out there. It's a lovely way to describe this um, super cool technique. Yeah. Well, well, we'll just refer to it as public domain for now. But uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's more or less public domain. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't think Starbucks has a trademark on it. 
So not yet. Yeah. That, well, the, now they could cash in on that if they had created little like areas where you could lay down and totally. Seriously. Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Like, have you ever seen? Okay, so this is a little bit grim, but and I'm not. I'm sort of <laughs> joking, but I'm sort of not joking. So if you if you've ever been to a morgue and they have those basically drawers where they put the bodies, yes. Like you could establish maybe more uh, plush, commodious forms of those in Starbucks, and you say, "Hey, I'm going to. I need an appuccino." So give me the coffee, and then I'm just going to lie down in this pod that Starbucks has created, and then one of the baristas comes and gets me after 23 minutes. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, that would be amazing, especially in, like, say, airports, too. Great idea. Even better. (laughs) Oh, man. So here's the thing. Like, we've only just touched on basically the rhythms of the day. You talk even more in the book about macro-level rhythms and starts and stops and beginnings and endings and i'm just gonna say everybody's got to go grab the book because it's it's like and i'm gonna only, and i'm gonna yeah. agree with you <laughs> i've never had anybody say that but that's awesome well yeah. done so i want to point people to where they can grab the book uh and where they can find you online well you can find me online at my website which is www.danpink dot www.danpink.com. Uh, you can find the book itself it's called When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. You can find the book wherever books are sold online and offline. So if you like to buy your books from amazon.com or 800ceoread or bnn.com go for it. If you want to go down to your awesome local independent bookseller and buy it in person do that uh, do that instead. And I'll look it up in the show notes as well, just so that people have an easy way to, to find it there, too. So very cool. Daniel, this was awesome. Uh, again, there's so much more to dive into here. And people who want to geek out more should go grab the book. Thanks for being here. Eric, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Can you see benefits in figuring out what type of chronotype you have? as well as figuring out then when your peaks and troughs and recoveries are. Are you going to try doing a nappuccino or at least try to do some more napping? Because I know from personal experience, it is a huge benefit. I've also been rejiggering my morning routine a little bit to get more out of my water and sun and coffee so that I'm making the most of them at the right times, including exercise for that matter, with great results. So I hope that you go ahead and grab the book by Daniel Pink, When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. You can find that book in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at beyondthetodolist.com slash 211. If you found this episode interesting or helpful and know of somebody else who needs to hear it, head on over to those show notes again, beyondthetodolist.com slash 211. Hit the share button. Share it with that one person you know needs to hear it on social or through email. Let them know what you thought and what you got out of this episode. And with that, I will say thank you for listening, and I will see you next episode.